Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interviewing the experts to help you thrive and build a business that makes you money. For exclusive offers, bonus content, and weekly episode reminders, join our mailing list at winningwithshopify.com. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's not tuned in before, welcome to the show. I've been checking the numbers, and we've got loads of new listeners over the last few months, which is great to see. For anyone who's not heard me shout this out before, we do have a website. It's very basic and in its elementary form. It's incredibly embarrassing for a digital first podcast to be saying such a thing. But yeah, if you want to give us any feedback or actually recommend any topics or specific things you'd like us to cover, or even if you'd like to come on as a guest or a sponsor or something like that, feel free to go to our website. It's winningwithshopify.com. And there's some forms on there you can just go and fill out very nice and quick, send us a message. They come through to my team. And if we're interested or anything's useful, we'll reach out back. And obviously, if we can be of service at all, let us know on that as well. And we can uh, we can look at how we can help and give some advice. Today, we're doing a little bit of a bonus episode. So we're going to have a quick pause from our current series on your first 1,000 sales and talk about a really hot topic, which for some of our clients is actually starting today. So today we're joined by Mark Hook from Bright Pearl, and we're going to be talking about Black Friday and talking a little bit as well about peak and some of the trends and things that have been going on this year, as well as a free report, which you can get from brightpearl.com. So without further ado, Mark, welcome back to the show. Hey there, Nick. How are you? So it's good to be back. Good, good. I'm very well, thanks. I have a bit of a cough, as most of us in the UK do. It's not COVID. So apologies if, uh, if I'm coughing at any point uh, during today. But uh, yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see how we go. I've got a nice glass of water on here. But um, just before we dive in, Mark, anyone who's missed episodes where you've been on before, we've had Bright Pearl involved before. Um, do you want to just give us a quick overview to what Bright Pearl is and a bit about yourself as well? Well, a, a little bit about me, the, the less interesting stuff. So I'm a global director of brand, uh, PR and communication for for bright pro pretty long title but essentially that just means that i'm responsible for growing and and furthering our brand and and making making people uh, like your audience uh, a little bit more aware of bright pro and what we do and bright pro itself is a retail operating system for retailers and wholesalers so we essentially streamline automate all the back office uh, operations which removes all the complexity all the hassle all the stress and allows them to essentially get their time and their money back so they can focus on on growing the business and, and growing fearlessly amazing and yeah as i say for anyone who's not not tuned in before or not heard the series i guess series is is that a word a plural more than one series um but we've done many series with bright pearl already over the last uh, probably 18 months so yeah do go back and have a look at some of those we've had some amazing guests both from bright pearl and some bright pearl customers talking about how they've been scaling up their Shopify stores. So do go back and check those out if you haven't already. So Mark, we're going to be talking about this report today, which I've had a look at. There's a UK and US version. It's incredible information in there that we've pulled out that we're going to run through today and, and share some interesting insights and try and preempt what some of um, some of the readers of that report's questions are going to be and, and deal with those. But tell us about this report. Like, Where did it come from? What does it say? What was the whole purpose of it in the first place? Yeah, so sure. A lot of our customers, which are, which are retailers and, and merchants, have been telling us for a long time that their, their customer base is changing and evolving. And, and we know that. And we wanted to do this report to, to have a really dig in and have a look at 
the way that modern customers are buying are specifically around Black Friday and, and Cyber Monday um, and Christmas being you know peak season for so many brands. Um, and what we found, interestingly, is that modern customers now um, want the ability to buy goods in multiple ways, as we know, but it also includes a lot of new alternative and exciting channels like live stream, TikTok, Pinterest, Twitch, Instagram, voice commerce, and, and more. And specifically, this holiday season, 57% of US customers and one in four UK consumers are looking or intending to shop on, on these non-traditional shopping channels, which for us is really exciting. Like, it's a break. It's a massive break from what from what consumers have previously done before. And the question the report looks to to answer is: Are retailers really prepared for the, for the changes in in these shopping habits? I think it's a very very interesting topic. And I said to you before as well, I'm quite excited that we're covering it. Hence why we've we've jumped this in as a bit of a bonus episode. But yeah, I'm quite excited by this because it is interesting looking at the traditional visit a website, add to basket, and fill out your payment details. It's interesting how people are moving away from that. So let, let's talk about some of these alternative shopping methods then. How does it work on, especially something like live video? Because I imagine there's people sitting there going, oh my gosh, live video, it sounds complicated, expensive. What if we say the wrong thing? How on earth does the tech work? You know, what, what do we mean when we talk about live video shopping? Like what does it actually look like to the consumer? So live stream is, is, is sort of one of the alternative methods and that... That can work in many ways. So just as a, an example, sort of pulling, pulling out of my head, KitKat recently did a sort of a Facebook live stream. So they had their, their head chocolatier got on and they ran through kind of like the background and insights into the, the chocolate making process. And then they people that were able to join the video got you know, offers, deals, and you're actually able to buy products directly via the live stream as well. So that's how that works. In terms of like Pinterest, Instagram, that even though that you don't have kind of direct in-app buying, that you can buy via the app. And I guess that's the 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 thing that consumers are really looking for now is that ability to to buy directly via new sort of new channels, whether that whether that is live stream, whether that's Pinterest, whether that's Instagram or Facebook. And what that means is it's just going to be ushering in this entirely new normal for commerce, which is going to just expand the way that we spend, both in traditional and non-traditional ways. And that's going to cause a, a greater frag, a sort of fragmentation, I guess, amongst shoppers. So you may get, particularly along generational lines, like you may get older shoppers still wanting to buy via the website, via in-store, you know, via Facebook perhaps. And, and then you've got Gen Z that are coming up and maybe Generation Alpha behind them that want to shop in just entirely different ways. And that that brings its own challenges for, for retailers, as I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of touch upon. Yeah, definitely. And what, what I find quite interesting is just rolling back the years for a second. When the internet was in its early form, and what we've been trying to generally do since, probably until about two or three years ago, where things as we're talking about now, started to diversify in terms of where to shop, how to buy, etc. I think one of the interesting things is we've always tried to bring as much of a physical in-store experience to websites as possible. And it was traditionally websites. So you tried to say, you know, what, what would this sofa look like in somebody's lounge? What are the dimensions, the weight? What is the actual colour? What other things could you put around this sofa, you know, on the website? And a, a good example of that, which we mentioned the other day as well, Mark, when we were catching up, was um, IKEA. So on Ikea's website, certainly in the UK and I assume in other territories, 
you can actually shop items by looking at a room. And you can even go through pages on the website of like, I have a room that's that sort of color scheme. So I'll go for that one. And then you go through the whole process of, okay, these items in this example of a room with this color scheme are quite nice. And you can add them all to your basket while staring at a big image of the room with lots of little pluses on it. And again, it's an alternative way of shopping, which is quite nice. But what I love about things like video and live stream, et cetera, is it's then starting to bring another element to it because it's visual and it's live. Customers can ask questions. Customers can say, oh, would this go well with this? Or, you know, that looks, if it's clothing, that looks like quite a tight fit. Um, If I work out at the gym a lot, how's that going to affect me? Or if I'm, you know, if my BMI is a little bit above where I want it to be and I'm a little bit overweight, how would this fit me? What size would I need to go for? And again, it brings that whole kind of store experience that you would have in a physical shop, brings it to the online world. And I think that, that, that for me is one of the most exciting things about this. Definitely. I think there is a... Uh, a change happening now where it's kind of like consumers are looking for the mall but online <laughs> and um, we we have changed as as consumers but particularly the younger generation like next day delivery fluid easily navigatable website is just a baseline expectation for shoppers nowadays like yeah we're we're looking for more entertainment more fun more education more socialization and and we want that to to actually happen on the places that we're shopping as well so like live streams a perfect example and it's it's grown in popularity so much and i pulled out a stat from um business insider that 37 percent of all online sales in china in the last year have been done by live stream which is wow wild but it but it goes to show that this trend of kind of shop attainment of as we've we've sort of called it isn't just a fad like it, it's growing and as a retailer you need to start looking at making your shopping experience a lot more a lot more fun a lot more entertaining and a lot more engaging than you ever have or have needed to do previously yeah, and i think the i mean the, the kind of fun and engaging point is interesting because there'll be some people sitting there thinking okay we are not a fun interesting brand we are mundane or actually our customers want to you know they, they're going to want to build a bit of trust with us you know we mentioned as well the other day about like a product for people that have struggled to walk, for example, or the elderly. Actually, when we say fun and engaging, it doesn't have to mean that there's, you know, someone in active wear kind of jumping around with some heavy dance music going on. It's like it, it, fun and engaging could actually be, for those guys, for example, could be an elderly couple that, you know, struggle to walk, but this product really supports them and they're currently standing on top of a mountain looking victorious, mm-hmm. which actually means there's, there's still that trust level and that support. And you can put all the information about guarantees and warranties and how this product works, demonstration videos, how it's developed, all that kind of stuff. Um, but actually the fun and engaging part of that might be something slightly different or for example, a very kind of boring, I say boring, some people would like this, a, t- a technical IT product, you know, so some sort of like server or router or something, mm. you could make it fun by putting branding on it that actually makes it feel like it's something from the future. So again, it's, there are kind of fun and engaging elements to all of this. And a lot of this comes back to the basics in a way, doesn't it? It's, it's branding, it's who are our customers, what's our persona, what's the target audience. It's just using different, I say just, it's still a lot of work to do. It's engaging with them on different platforms and in different ways. So like an IT company could do a live demonstration, even if it's a very boring B2B corporate suited and booted type approach, that could still be done a live video to show businesses how this would transform their sales teams, for example. Absolutely. It's being where your customers are which is you know, the fundamental thing you need to do as a retailer, <laughs> uh, be in the right place at the right time. And, 
and also give them the information and the content that they need. Like that doesn't, as you, to your point, it doesn't need to be, you know, fun in, in, in quotation marks. It can be educational or informative. Like an example being you know, a brand um, customer of ours, Mad for Tools. They do a lot of videos across sort of TikTok, across, across social media, YouTube, that is essentially just how to use like a lock bolt and how to properly use a drill. And this, <laughs> but that's the sort of content you actually need when you get to the point like me, where you're like, how do I actually do this? <laughs> when you're doing a bit of that home <laughs> DIY. Oh, always, yes. <laughs> right? always. But suddenly that content becomes really, really useful and really powerful. And it, you have greater affinity for the brand because they've taken that, they're not just selling you uh, a nut, a bolt, a hammer, a drill. They're, they're showing you how to use it how to get value from that purchase they're going a step beyond and i think a lot of this is 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 that really it's adding extra value to the shopping experience definitely and the diy one i think is absolutely brilliant i i a few months ago i needed to drill into a tile in my bathroom and i was so paranoid about smashing a tile that i'd even gone to a local shop and the guy said oh i do it like this isn't it i have no idea what he said like just beyond me so i took to youtube and on YouTube, found a video where somebody had said, okay, this is a new drill bit. And this drill bit, you drill the first hole, and then you can use a more traditional drill bit to make it wider. Plus, it comes with a bit of tape, and you put the tape on the wall, which then strengthens the outside of the tile so it won't crack. And they, and also on this video, they said that, you know, you just need to drill really, really slowly. And they, they even gave an example of them cracking some tiles to show how much force is too much force. And the average hole to drill, apparently, just through the tile bit, which is only, what, a centimetre or so in depth, even for a big tile. This had all this advice of, like, if you've got more stuff coming out of it than this, it's too much. If, if you do it in under 20 seconds, that's too fast. You run the risk of cracking it. And I bought the product. Of course I did. I'm going to buy that one drill bit. It was only about $8 or something. It took a week to arrive. I'm not in a hurry. All good. You know, I think it come from the US as well and arrived here in the UK. But again, it was, it's, it's that, I think that was actually a live stream video where they had done that and then they'd uplo- uploaded it or left it on YouTube afterwards so other people could go and watch. And there was over a million views on this video. They must have sold tons of them. And again, it just shows that engagement. You're not going to get it right every time, but that one in particular, they'd found out that, okay, that, you know, we just sell boring parts for drills, but why do people buy these? Well, they're really good actually drilling into tiles. That's a common thing and people don't want to crack them because the cost of changing that is going to be incredibly expensive. And what if you can't find the same tile? You're now going to have to retile the whole bathroom if you want that to look nice. And yeah, so I think there's this huge, huge value in certainly in the, in the DIY market. It's a really good example. Yeah. And I think it's as people, as consumers, we, we've moved online increasingly during this, this kind of pandemic era. And the sort of growing popularity of you know, social media and streaming platforms is both that sort of method for discovery and purchase means that you are missing out on a trick if you're not using these channels, like you're not leveraging those, t- those channels as a way to to help support sales like it, you, you are just you are just missing out yeah for sure for sure right let's take a slight gear change then so alternative shopping methods somebody's got a shopify store they're selling in the traditional way of people adding products do you do you think you'd need an enormous audience to start doing other channels and exploring other things or actually is it more a case of saying that these channels can help you find and develop a bigger audience because you're now meeting ideally new customers? It's an interesting question. I I think for me, you don't need a a huge audience to start testing out these channels. I think the the best thing to do, 
is is really to audit your customers in the first place and find out where they're shopping, what what channels and platforms they use, and then go down the process of just sort of trial and error, being being able to use and see if some of these channels work for you and work for your brand. And and to be honest, it might be the case that you don't think TikToks or YouTube, for example, is is an incredible channel, but actually proves to be really popular, really successful and allows mm, you to grow definitely. your brand and grow your customer base, you know, outside of its current size. So I think the more you know about your customers and what channels they're using, first of all, that's that's hugely informative, right? And and then using existing channels to just help support your overall strategy would be the best recommendation. I think the issue is always the practicality of adopting the new channels and doing so quickly. And that's where the friction is coming in. But that's kind of a reliance on legacy ERP sort of tech providers or not. The issue we're finding from our customers or the issues they've had previously before joining BrightPro, for example, is being on the cusp of what customer expectations are. So, you know, if TikTok is going to be the hot channel for the holiday season or Instagram is going to be the hot channel as an example. How do we adopt that super quickly and take advantage of it and use it as a trial and error? That's probably where the challenge is for retailers. Nice, nice. And I, yeah, I think the going back to the very first thing you said, understanding your customer audience is, uh, yeah, your customers and your audience is, is so important to all of this kind of stuff. I think, I, I think I was saying, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before on the podcast, we were talking about the, the fact that uh, marketing has been lost from digital marketing is one of my catchphrases. You can get so bogged down in going like, right, that keyword there on Google ads is working really well for us. Let's put more money behind it. That's going to solve all our problems. And it's not really the point, is it? It's not actually about the keyword. It's about the fact that customers that are looking for this find the right solution and engage well with you when they come into your site and that kind of thing. So it's, it's trying to get out of what I call the um, micro changes and getting into the macro, which is the big stuff. You know, who are we as a company? Who are our audience and how are we going to meet them? Just to share a really, really short story for a second. There was a company we spoke to age ago. It wasn't on this podcast, but it was, um, I think it was at an event we were running a few years back. And I said to them, how did you learn about your customers? How did you find out what they were into? And the, this is the CEO I was talking to, and he's got two or 300 staff. He said for a month... He literally took a month out of the rest of the organization, organizing the business and running it. And for a month, he, he actually went out with orders. He partnered up with one of the delivery drivers, put on a polo shirt and a little cap and was delivering bits of furniture all up and down the country from one of their depots. And the reason he did that is because he wanted to go to people's front doors and because it's furniture and they sold lots of stuff, but specifically the furniture, because you get to go in somebody's house to carry it in and unwrap it and, you know, then sit and have a cup of tea with the customer. And, and he said what he would do is once they'd finished unwrapping it or he'd say, look, to let you know, I am actually the CEO of this business. The reason I'm here today is because I want to find out more about my customers and who, who they are and then have a conversation with them. You know, how often have you bought from us? Do you always buy these kind of products? How difficult was it to buy from us? And, and then he took all of these learnings back and he said every single customer he went to see, he learned something. And something significant. Some of them, it was the front doors weren't wide enough. So then it was a case of like, right, we need to make sure we put something on the website of like, what are the dimensions of this product? And what is the minimum width your front door needs to be to get it into the property? Something I made the mistake of a few weeks ago and had a lovely oak desk sitting in my garden for the night under a tarpaulin. <laughs> I waited and figured, I've learned my lesson. But um, again, it was just 
that whole thing of understanding customers, I think, is is so important. Yeah, agree. Like you, you've got to get, you've got to be able to get inside customers' heads and their hearts. Really, um, that's the only way to kind of get those like necessary insights that you need um, about the customer relationship, but also like the experience they're having, and that's that's super important. And, and you can use like you know analytics tools, review platforms, email communication. There's multiple ways you can get those insights like you don't have to go out from you don't have to take a month out necessarily i think he wanted to more than more than it being a necessity but but that's an awesome way to do yeah. it but like but there are there are other ways you can kind of get those insights and, and find that you know what what improvements to experience do customers want like where are they shopping where would they like to be shopping how would they want your end-to-end journey to to improve slightly and even if you you don't end up adding a new shopping channel this this holiday season if you do some auditing now you you might be able to make the tweaks that you need to the overall experience that allows you to get more value out of um peak season than you may may have had i think as well just just on the note of holiday season itself obviously this report is looking forward into holiday season and, and it, it is upon us hence why we're talking about you know doing something a bit different over this black friday or or, or over peak and, and christmas this is the time when there's going to be a lot more traffic generally going through sites everyone's got their wallets and purses open ready to buy things so if there's a time to gather data and talk to customers the time is when you've got the biggest wave of them which is for not for everybody but for most retailers is going to be this time of year and so Again, just thinking about that as as, as, you, as we go into the next few months, I think it's really important. But all of this kind of comes back to convenience, doesn't it? It's about how convenient is it to buy from this company? And that's both from the, probably, I'd say, the convenience of learning who are this business? Are they the right company to buy from? Is this the right product for my needs? And also the convenience of the actual technology of going, right, I'm going to buy that, add to cart, pay now. Whether you're watching a live stream video, you're on the Shopify store, you're on your mobile, or even better than that, we, you know, we're massive advocates here at my business of Shop, which is Shopify's own app, where you can loosely buy stuff now. I say loosely, and um, not all Shopify stores are using it and utilizing it in the way they should. But Shop started as a bit of a delivery app to tell you what was being delivered to you every time you placed an order. It now holds your payment details, so every time you go into a different Shopify store to pay, your payment details can pre-populate via Shop. And it now even connects with Amazon to show you Amazon orders and when they're arriving. So I've connected mine up and it's, it's, it's great. I have sort of one app now telling me everything that's coming to my front door. And you can now find Shopify retailers through Shop. So in terms of Shopify competing against Amazon and eBay and other big online marketplaces, Shopify is absolutely starting to really lead the way in that, which is, which is interesting. But your report talks a lot about convenience, doesn't it, Mark? It's how convenient it the customer yeah and convenience is actually sort of one or two on the the things that customers most want when sort of shopping whether that's online or, or offline the ease of purchase is still a major thing for for shoppers and and shopify itself you know it is really enabling some of these alternative channels to be a thing now so you can do live stream via shopify um they're in a process of enabling kind of TikTok purchasing as well. So there, there's a lot on the horizon that will allow retailers that use Shopify to conveniently add and integrate some of these new alternative platforms. So if they're thinking, well, you know, how do I how do I add Pinterest in? How do I add TikTok in or Instagram? Like this all sounds complicated. Actually, the the convenience, the ease from the retailer's perspective and then from the end customer perspective should be 
hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, relatively straightforward as, as we head into the new year. I think when we talk about convenience and ease, though, I mean, I know it's your job to big up Brightpile, but I'm going to do it for you for a sec. When, <laughs> when you're looking at things like delivery information and, OK, the delivery is going to be delayed by a day or, OK, it's left the warehouse now. Brightpile plays such an important part of that, doesn't it? Part of that process and actually drives the technology behind telling the customer those things are happening. But even more importantly, that on the note of convenience, it's really, really convenient for a customer to know their product is arriving today. I know it sounds really kind of basic to say that, but it's having that technology all in one place plugged into Shopify's, if that in itself is convenient to the e-commerce store, but the convenience to the customer to know, okay, it's going to take three to five days to turn up. I know that. But getting a text on the day going or the day before going, your product's arriving tomorrow and it's going to arrive um, somewhere between 9am and 10am. And on the day you'll have live tracking information. It's all that that in itself is incredibly convenient to the customer, isn't it? Yeah, hugely so. Like you can't over communicate with the customer, right? So I think if, if you and again, like I, I'll keep coming back to this, you know, make sure you're you're auditing customers and finding out where in the end-to-end experience you can improve because that is still an area like the the crm side of things where where retailers can still do better like we've been probably hammer on this point for for years now but still you know tracking updates all this stuff is relatively straightforward to do now and and adds to the experience that customers are having yeah definitely definitely well let's let's move on then so another topic that came up and it kind of comes back to live stream a little bit and TikTok and everything else. Something that came up, and I don't know if this is the exact word for it. We couldn't quite work out between Mark and Mark and I if this was correct. Shoppertainment. So essentially entertaining through shopping. Mark, what on earth does that mean? Like, tell us what the word's all about. Uh, well, I think we sort of touched upon it before, but it, it is that it's that process now where shopping has kind of moved on from as we said that kind of the baseline expectations is i want to go onto your want to go onto your website want to buy it want to get it delivered quickly and end of story right like a kind of a functional relationship consumers want a lot more and i think the pandemic has had a major impact on accelerating this process of i guess let's call it digital transformation that's probably not the right phrase but that process of digital transformation that was already happening i think We've seen our concept of place, which is a bit meta, but but bear with me. But <laughs> it's really converged, though. Like we now shop, work, discover, communicate, and entertain, and are entertained online. It's becoming very natural for us that we want these channels to to serve us as consumers too, and and that's for like our generation, right? So, but Gen Z or even and, and the generation below them are, are even more uh, digitally native. Like they're thoughts around kind of being social is like spending time with their friends on Fortnite, for example rather than going to the park which you know is a very different very different from from our generation perhaps and they they look to influencers they look to youtube influencers and live streamers as being their kind of their celebrity so the the status of celebrity has really changed and and they get their advice whether that's fashion whether that's educational whether that's life hacks they get that from these influencers that use live streaming, use YouTube, they use TikTok. So kind of bringing that on, like there is an expectation now that, hey, you need to entertain me if you want me to buy from you. And so this process of shop attainment is, has, has really moved, it's just, it is essentially 
and I think I touched, I said this phrase earlier, it's like bringing that mal experience online. Like, so people um, now want to buy, they want to entertain, they want to hang out all in the same place. And the onus is on retailers to, to meet that challenge. Definitely. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of the stuff's not new. It's just, it's different technology and it's different mediums and different platforms to communicate with customers on. But I mean, the phrase retail therapy has been around for, you know, hundreds of years. You know, the sort of people enjoy buying things. I've treated myself. I've got something new. Probably a lot more, um, yeah, a lot more present now than it was in the 1700s. Uh, so may maybe decades rather than, than hundreds of years. But I think the, you know, the, the concept is the same. It's a, you know, I'm having a really rough time right now. Right, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to buy something new. And I think the whole shop attainment is all part of that process because, you know, re retail therapy is a real thing. I've, I've read cognitive studies on this around how people enjoy buying products. So if you as the retailer don't bring that sense of enjoyment, especially for a luxury item or something that they can buy anywhere, if you can make it a fun, enjoyable experience, that's really important. And I think that stems from the moment they see your first advert or hear about you, how the website functions. We mentioned delivery information. You don't have to say your order is arriving today. You know, if it, depending on your brand and your tone of voice, you could say not long now, soon you'll be enjoying some lovely cheeses that are being delivered this afternoon you know it's, it's that kind of thing or or you know get the cheese board out and get the wine ready or the port the cheese is arriving this afternoon you know it's still a delivery text message but you can make the whole experience more fun and then the final part of that journey which i think is genuinely is almost as important as gaining the customer in the first place is making sure the customer enjoys opening the product, enjoying the product. Is it a good product in the first place? And so I think things like packaging and whatever, it's so important these days to, to bring that entertainment experience. Definitely. And you see like brands like Nordstrom and, and Nike starting to get that. Like they, they understand that concept of the mall. Mm. For, it's, it's, still, it's still there. Like consumers don't just want to show up to online stores to browse and buy. Like they, they want to socialize and they want to be entertained. And they're going to favor retailers that, that make that convenient, fun, sociable shopping experience for them so there's all there's almost a rise of like the digital city and brands brands can kind of take massive advantage of that particularly if you look at the data from the report that says 78 percent of gen z want to shop via alternative channels that is just a huge stat and a huge trend that that shows like these these alternative channels now not saying all these channels are going to become you know, established commerce channels but but the the idea that tiktok pinterest instagram these new ways of buying social media in general are going to become more popular and more established is definitely a trend that's going to happen so if you're a retailer you know let's say a uk retailer only 25 percent use social media as buying channels that you, you you're massively missing out like and you will continue to miss out as these channels become more established yeah I, lo I love that example as well of the younger generation wanting to use channels i think statistics speak for themselves yeah but i think the other point to make on that as well is how far we've actually come as a as an industry as as the digital world when you think back to the early days of ebay and oh my gosh i'd never write my credit card details in on a web page i'll definitely get hacked you know and all my all my money will be stolen from me and all we've come so far from that now and i think banks as well have, have played quite a big part in building that trust 
I mean, fraud is at, is at an all-time high, but so is security. It's kind of this interesting balance uh, of seeing the two things work. But I certainly think, look at your audience. And if your audience are a younger generation today, then you need to be on alternative shopping places, clearly by these statistics. A lot of consumers still don't know that they exist. And so, again, it's, we spoke as well the other day, Mark, about pioneering this. So actually saying, well, okay, we're going to be the first business in our industry to start offering live stream video. So we're going to, get a, we're going to hire somebody or find an influencer or somebody's going to be the face of that. Let's get the, the owner, the founder to be the face of it, et cetera, and start engaging on live video and be the first ones to do it. And I think the other point to make is if you're, if you're thinking, you know, our target demographic are definitely not in that camp, when are they going to be? Because at some point, you know, all the, everybody who's young now will be old at some point in the future. And so, you know, already being ready for that wave or even testing it. And, you might, and I think this is interesting because you might then find actually your target audience starts to change. Um, we've had so many brands over the years where we used to do it as a game and the game was, who do you think your target customer is? And we'd get everyone to write down things like male or female, age demographic, location. And then we'd use stuff like Google Analytics, Google Ads, Facebook Pixel to then go through and say, actually, 80% of your sales come from women, even though it's a men's product, which is actually quite a common thing in certain industries. So actually, then it's still a men's product. But we want to talk about how much better your brother, boyfriend, husband, dad, son, whatever is going to be if you buy them this product. It completely changes the marketing elements. And I think that's an interesting point about alternative shopping methods as well. When you look at, well, who's buying something for someone else? Because actually then the research is probably going to be increased dramatically because you don't want to buy the wrong thing for your loved ones. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I think as as brands like we've talked a lot about gen z but and they're probably going to drive the charge with a lot of this stuff but what's interesting is the way that different audiences buy and they're still interested in alternative channels like they they may not be quite as eager as gen z but uh, let's look at like millennials millennials want to are very interested in buying via more established social media platforms so like instagram facebook but then older generation like boomers they were really interested in youtube really interested in in live stream to an extent as well because it's it's television like it's, it's video and i think that there is there is something in that that for for retailers it, you you may need to start breaking your commerce channels down by audience adopting changing being able to integrate new channels as your audience grows and ages and new channels come on board, but also as as they begin to adopt, because I think you made the point earlier about, you know, a generation ago, decade ago, yeah. people were scared to to put their details online. Myself well, included. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was definitely my mother. And now and now she's, you know, all over Instagram, all over Facebook. Got Prime, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of it, you know. PayPal and everything. So, so it changes and, and it may take a little bit of time for older generations to catch up, but probably not as long as you think. Mm. And I think, yeah, just, just to back up that point, older generations, and when we say older, if you're currently targeting 16 and 17 year olds, older could be 25. And um, for other businesses, you might be targeting 30s, 40s, and older is the over 60s market, over 65s into retirement, et cetera. But things are changing dramatically. You know, I, I've even spoken to quite a few people last Christmas and going towards this Christmas as well, who've said to me, they're going to avoid all the big boys when they're buying Christmas presents now. They're only going to buy small, local, ideally handmade stuff that hasn't been, you know, shipped around the world, polluting the environment. And again, I think there's a whole other change coming around that as well. So just a quick sort of footnote to anyone listening, if 
if you're not a very kind of eco-friendly business today, you probably should be by tomorrow, just, just to be on that trend. And I think everybody's going to be looking to help the planet out. Everybody's doing a lot at the moment, but even more so as we move forward. So making sure people are sustainable and, you know, back to marketing, what are some of those key things that people are going to be worried and concerned about? You know, I mean, we, we just bought an office recently and one of the decisions we've made is we're going to remove the gas boiler and the heating system and just use, I know it's air conditioning, but it's electric powered instead of gas. You know, in the UK, we still burn gas everywhere to heat our homes and heat water. So we're moving everything to electric. And again, I think there's going to be a, a big wave of, an even bigger wave of that. I think we're only at the start of those sorts of things at the moment. I guess the, the next problem then, Mark, I say problem, challenge, if people get this thing right, they're going to have a lot more customers and a lot more orders to deal with. Let's talk about scaling up. There's kind of two big categories on this, aren't there? There's the, the technology and the how are we actually going to fulfill all the orders and what tech and systems are we going to need for that? And the flip side, how are we going to manage more customers, more communications, more marketing, et cetera? Let's start on the, the first side, the, the tech side, you know, the infrastructure in the back end. What are some of the things people need to really, really worry about if, you know, if they did have a live stream video that went viral and they've got a thousand orders today instead of their normal 15 or 20? What are some of the things they need in place in case that happens or, or ready for the day when it will because that's what they're aiming for? Well, I think if you're, if you're using these channels already and you're worried about sort of scale and being able to get, you know, meet orders, get them out the door, you, you have to have a flexible operation in place. So you, you have to be able to have agile workflows, ideally automated, that allows you to kind of react very fast to changes in demand. What would be even better, though, is to have kind of uh, demand forecasting software like in place. Like Yeah. But it allows you to, to estimate you know what where your peaks and troughs might be so you don't get caught out so you you you've baked agility and flexibility into your operation and you've got the automated processes fantastic but you also have a line of sight in terms of like where your 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 peaks might be that's that's the one thing you, you need to do i think the the other challenge that retailers are facing is this issue of not being able to be hyperscalable and there's a great quote from Gartner that says, like, by 2023, organizations that are able to adopt a scalable commerce approach, which uh, basically, let me say it again, by 2023, organizations that adopt a scalable commerce approach will outpace their competition 80% in the speed of new feature implementation. Now, if you're able to add new services, and we've talked about channels, so payment providers, whatever that might be. But if you're able to get to market with new services and apps faster than your competition, you are probably going to win. And the challenge that suggests is happening is, is around about two thirds of retailers are really frustrated by their technology providers as it pertains to their ability to quickly improve their e-commerce experience, um, adopt new services and, and deploy them quickly. And the reason that's happening is that we are, well, we at the Royal We, is that a lot of e-commerce brands across the world are still fixated on, on a one-size-fits-all approach to e-commerce. And that, that kind of works when you've got like a website and maybe one or, one or two channels. But if you need to start adding new services rapidly to meet sort of these changing consumer trends, you know, for example, let's say you want to add TikTok, you want to try it for your holiday peak and then you may want to rotate it out you can't be relying on systems that 
allow you well don't allow you to to do that rapidly to say okay that's going to cost x amount and it's going to be a six to three month project or three to six month project i should say or perhaps a two-year project yeah, yeah. like we've all, all had like, projects like that for sure right and that technology creep is just we you just can't do that as a retailer anymore you you don't know how long tiktok might be hot as an e-commerce channel and and the problem is like this inflexibility is moving retailers into the understanding that they need a more composable tech stack. Talking about hyperscalable being defined really as the ability to rapidly curate new services and deploy better shopping experiences at scale and at pace. And that's 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 the challenge that I think all retailers are facing is we're talking about alternative shopping channels. There's several. I truly believe this will only continue to increase more channels will will need to be added retailers will need to sort of segment by by audiences mm. by by different you know age groups audience by the channels that they use so retailers need to move away from the systems that are inherently inflexible and look to embrace technology that doesn't just re- you know remove the complexity but grants them the agility to to change and adapt to their cus- uh, customer expectations and to do so incredibly quickly yeah definitely I, I couldn't agree with any of that any more than saying that i think if you put all of that work and energy in and you get that big break where you have those three to six golden months to then not have the technology to actually make any use of any of it, yeah, that that is going to be your biggest pain point ever. And it, some for some businesses as well, I've seen in the past where those big breaks might be every five or ten years. Yeah. <laughs> so if you miss it this time, it, it might be that suddenly the government's announced that everybody has to change this product in their home to this one in the next two or three years. Everyone jumps on Google to go and do it. You've not got the infrastructure to actually get those products out, but you've got the stock. What a shame. You know, like three, six months time, it's going to be a old news and everybody started doing it. And I'll give you a good example of that is in the UK, we still have really, really old phone lines in lots of places, but they've announced that, I think in fact, it might even be January coming up now, all the old phone lines are now going to be converted to internet and internet only. And then everybody will be using VoIP, voice over IP, which for any business, VoIP is a well-known thing now. And most houses in the UK as well have one connection that comes in. You've got the phone goes out of one bit and the broadband goes out the other one. And it's literally one connection that comes in and splits. So yeah, when that happened, the sale of VoIP technology, when British Telecom announced this is the change we're going to make, even though it was years away, the scale of VoIP technology in terms of sales went through the roof, but only for about three to six months. So there was this window where the early pioneers and the businesses of well, look, we, we need a new phone system. We might as well change now. It went absolutely mad. So all the phone companies that acquired tons of customers over that time are still now sitting there absolutely laughing with all these new customers on their books. The ones that didn't or weren't able to scale were left behind. And now there is not that same demand. So now they're trying to convince people to leave an existing provider and move rather than you have to move and we are going to be one of your options. And so I think it's really important to do that. And it's just to kind of clarify on the other side of things, the marketing, scaling up marketing is not as easy as anybody ever thinks. So even if you're spending $100 a day on Google and Google say you could spend $5,000 a day and you go from $100 a day to $5,000, it is very, very unlikely that your sales will do the same thing. Because what Google's probably doing is giving you the best quality, the bottom of funnel stuff at the moment to encourage you to spend more. And then when you do spend more, they're probably going to start 
you're going to naturally start acquiring some lower quality leads or customers as well at that point. So I think scaling up the marketing is really important to make sure you have a game plan, you know what you're you know what you can do in terms of a linear growth, and then also what's going to be more of a sort of phased step approach. You know, how, how big are your current marketing channels or how could how big could they be? And at what point you have to introduce new channels as well is really, really important. Yeah, that's a really, really valuable point. That because you know the report says essentially, um, spoiler alert, is that there's <laughs> significant low, low adoption of, of alternative channels mm. at the moment. Significant low adoption, and that presents massive opportunity, but only a, a pioneering window of opportunity, like a short window where you can steal in if you have the technology behind you that allows you to integrate these these new channels quickly and if you don't that window is going to close quickly because established brands won't take too long before they get on they get bored of that yeah yeah so last question then mark coming into land or last topic to have a quick chat about is how do we keep this engagement like we've got black friday we've got christmas we're going to acquire some new customers what are some of the things people should be already planning for if not already planned for for january or you know day after boxing day when people suddenly wake up again after a food coma and <laughs> and the alcohol starting to wear off you know what are some of the things they should be looking to do through you know often what we call january blues in the retail world where it it goes a bit quiet and people start thinking we're a great christmas but we're losing money like nobody's business at the moment what are some of the things people could do to just keep that engagement running with their customers keep them buying etc without just obviously discounting everything, which some Yeah, I was going to say, just <laughs> January discounts. No, I think like if we're, when it comes to engagement, um, and let's talk significantly about the, these, these channels, not all of the emerging channels are going to be successful long term. So I think the ability to stay abreast of customer expectations by being across the channels that you know are interest to your customers at the time is your best way of, like you can then scale up comms, content, entertainment, educational videos, whatever that might be. But I'd say January is a good time to, and this is pretty, you know, a marketer's dream, but any any salesperson is going to like scream at me, but it's, <laughs> it's to focus on connecting with your customers. And if you know the channels they're going to be on, you can start to use those channels that you know are of interest to your customers, you know are hot right now, to start creating some of the content that we talked about earlier and that educational, informative, entertaining content could be a precursor if you start to use those channels over the next couple of months as a way of a, like a precursor to becoming a selling commerce channel for you in time. So for me, that would be the best way to continue the engagement post holiday season. I think as well, we spoke before on other podcasts with, with yourself and the Brightpod team about loyalty. Yeah. And I think the more you can do entertainment stuff during the quiet times where people don't have the cash to spend or are not spending for whatever reasons, the more you can build loyalty then, gearing up for the next Christmas, for example. Obviously, it's easier if you've been trading for 40 or 50 years as a business because you know what the seasonality looks like and you can plan for it financially. But for a lot of people listening, I'm assuming a lot of you guys are quite new and certainly people we talk to are you know, you've got a few sales going on, but nothing significant yet, or you've just hit a point of significance, but how do we grow further? This is where you probably need to go on Google and do a lot of digging for some data in terms of what, what things are actually going to be looking like in January, February, March next year. What can we do to get some sales out of that without becoming too salesy? And also, yeah, the entertainment, the loyalty side of things. If we can build loyalty with our customers, 
by March, April time where, you know, some other holidays start to come into play, like, like Easter and Mother's Day. And I mean, February has got Valentine's Day as well. And so I think the more you can build some loyalty, the more response you're going to get when you suddenly switch your advertising to one of the next holiday seasons, or you send that next email saying, you know, we've just discounted a whole load of Easter themed products you know, or our Easter range is now up and running. And so I think building that loyalty is good. And it's, that is the nurture process of the long term. So definitely, definitely like Fairfax, one of our, one of our customers, you know, high, high end fashion brand. They We've use, had them on the, on the podcast before as well. So, so, so you, you guys will know that like they spend a lot of their, their down, their downtime is, is focused on community and whether that's kind of sending out style guides, you know, what to wear this season, new year how to pair outfits you know, events engaging competitions what, whatever it might be they they refocus really on creating a content that helps to engage with their community and i think if you can start to do that across multiple channels that could be a really effective way of of using a stop gap here between your your hot sales periods as a way to to really foster engagement and to to make your next peak even peakier <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, yeah, January is definitely a tough time. So I think the yeah, the overall message from both of us here is do some research and do some planning. Yeah, look, Mark, let's, let's wrap stuff up there. We've, yeah, we've got, we've gone on quite a bit. Just before we finish, though, tell us about where to get hold of the, um, I mentioned at the start, but tell us again, how to get hold of this guide. Like, where is it available? What territories have you created versions for, etc.? Yeah, uh, great. So the report is called Tis the Season. There are UK and US versions of the report available. If you just go to BrightPro's website, so that's brightpro.com, there's a link directly on the homepage that will, will take you to uh, downloadable versions of this report. So you can get it there. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Mark. Really appreciate your time. No, it was a pleasure. Really enjoyable. Thanks for having me. Cool. And for everybody else listening, we've got um, at least two more episodes on our your first 1,000 sales series coming up over the next couple of weeks. So make sure you tune in for that. Check out the website if you want to send us some information, some ideas, that kind of thing. And we'll be back again next week. So thanks a lot for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.